You're listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. Welcome to a podcast of Spurious Morality. I'm Johnston, and this week I have with me Connor. Hello. And Mansour. Hello. And we're kind of following up an episode that Connor and I did a while back, but uh, it's, it's sort of its own thing as well, I suppose. Um, we're going to look at Dalek Universe. Um, so we've obviously already touched on this kind of thing because we discussed the Four Doctor Adventures uh, season with Jane Slavin and Anne Kelso, who became Anya Kingdom, and we had Jane Slavin on to talk about that that particular series. So we're kind of we're picking up at the next bit, which was Dalek Universe, which was I think it's fair to say something that just wouldn't have existed without COVID, um, because they managed to get David Tennant for long enough to do an entire series with him. Uh, and it brought back Andy Kingdom, and you know, by all accounts, the scripts were written fairly quickly, which, as far as I'm concerned, doesn't actually show in any of these episodes. Um, and yeah, we got this sort of really interesting, very linked to '60s Doctor Who, as well as that season of the Fourth Doctor Adventures series. That it kind of just plays around in the, I guess, Terry Nation sandpit for a little bit you know we we have mechanoids we have mavellans we have visions even um so it's yeah it's it, it's sort of it, it i think it's still quite a unique thing from big finish really it, it it's kind of i guess new doctor who series 4.5 you know what if david tennant had done uh that fourth series um and yeah it, it's it is different it's interesting and i don't think big finish have really done anything that's particularly comparable to it um so i'm gonna ask you to cast your mind back to the days of lockdowns and covid and us wondering what was going to happen next with Anya kingdom and um just sort of ask you what your initial reaction to finding out that dalek universe was going to be a thing was so connor do you want to go first yeah, um, I was, I was, I was thrilled because, like, for years, you know, what had, what David Tennant's first one was what, like something like twenty fifteen with with Big Finish, um, and he seemed to sort of come back every two years to eighteen months or so, um, just to do another three episodes. Um, it actually, it's actually very strange, uh, thinking back on it now because he started off with TV companions and then, you know. You know, two very exceptionally busy people in the form of Billy Piper and Catherine Tate came in to do them at the same time. 
Um, and then they've sort of backed out of it a little bit more recently. They're not just as prolific as, as David Tennant has become. Um, but I was delighted. I was thrilled to have, you know, my childhood doctor back for a full series. Um, I'd wanted, um, you know, I, I, I'm a huge fan of the Eighth Doctor Adventures and the box set runs like Doom Coalition and stuff. So I'd wanted something like that with Tennant for ages and was thrilled when this came along. Um, I, I thought at the time that, um, that, that, oh yes, excellent, David Tennant has come back to do a full series of Doctor Who. That's never going to happen again. Um, but even now, <laughs> you know, uh, the 60th anniversary has slightly overtaken that, just just very slightly. Um, and he still, you know, like he still hasn't gone away, you know, he's, he's still knocking about in some form in the Doctor Who universe. Um, so at the time, it was really, really exciting to get this big blockbustery action filled 10th Doctor Series 5. Um, a doubly exciting. I don't think I had heard the Anne Kelso run at the time, but I made it a, a a very urgent priority once this was announced. And I I think it's absolutely great that we have that link to that series of Fourth Doctor adventures, and it is continuing the story of a, a very interesting character. Um, you know, there was we got the name Anya Kingdom, and we got the obvious link to Sarah Kingdom, but we never actually found out what that link was. Um, which is obviously something that we'll discuss as we go on in this episode. Uh, what about you, Mansell? What was your sort of initial reaction to there's going to be Dalek Universe? Uh, yeah, also very interested just because, uh, yeah, like what David Tennant had done for Big Finish until then had been more sporadic and uh, it was sort of uncertain about whether that would be an ongoing thing or whether we were just lucky to get a few a few stories uh, so getting a lot more in one go, but then also, yeah, it being a, a kind of uh, a sort of audio series or audio season, um, similar to what the 11th Doctor Chronicles is, is, is doing at the moment. Um, that's quite nice to have a, a kind of set of stories that, um, a set of episodes that tell one, one long form story, like the 8th Doctor box sets like Doom Coalition and uh, around that sort of era, a, a, another good example. Um, like having said that, and we'll probably get into this in the follow-up episode. But the there's a lot of connections with previous stuff, like not just the Fourth Doctor adventures. There's that also connecting to the Daleks' master plan and all of that. So uh, I remember thinking that was an interesting choice when this was announced. That you've got David Tennant. Uh, you're, you're putting something out during lockdown um, and you'd imagine that they'd really push that as a bit of a high profile release to get new listeners and uh, and go beyond their, their regular audience. And I think they did like vinyl releases for these to make it a bit more special as well. Uh, so they're doing that, but then to, to fully get the significance of what's going on here, you do need to have seen a TV story that, no longer exists and have listened to a whole load of fourth doctor adventures as well. Um, so yeah, I, th- I remember thinking that was a, an interesting choice. It's one that I think paid off as well. Um, it's, I mean, I, I, I would suspect that, um, 
it probably was a big finish jumping on point for some people. You know, it, it's maybe, I don't know. Um, I guess that there was some David Tennant beforehand, as we've said, so maybe that'll have been a jumping on point. But I'd be very curious to know if anybody did kind of come on at Dalek Universe and go, well, hang on a minute, you know, what's what are these references to Kemble? Who is this Anya that the Doctor knows? All this kind of thing. I think the Anya Doctor dynamic is the biggest thing that feels like I'd advise someone to listen to the first Doctor Adventures first, not just because of spoilers, but because of just how it works in terms of their narrative. I think the Daleks' master plan references, you can kind of pick that up from context or kind of think about it as an off-screen adventure. So I I feel like that's maybe not quite as crucial. Um, But yeah, I'd, I'd definitely advise people to listen to the Anne Kelso stories first. That and the fact that they're just so damn good as well. It's a really, really good series. It's it's really worth looking at. And like I say, you know, we've we've talked about it on this podcast before. And uh, you know, Connor and I, we did find that there was an awful lot to enjoy in there. It's a really good run. And the one thing we kind of said was, well, there isn't enough of this character, this Anne slash Anya. Um, so I was really glad that we got more. I was really glad that we were able to continue Anya Kingdom's story with, you know, her as the companion to David Tennant in an entire new series. Um, So let's start discussing that series. So we're going to discuss the first two sets in this episode, and then we're going to follow it up in the next few weeks uh, with discussion of the episodes from the final set. And we're just going to take a look at the sort of story arc as a whole releases that tied into it that kind of thing um so the first story was buying time um which yeah well it's part one of two it was always advertised as part one of two i remember uh on its announcement john dorney said something along the lines of it's great i've got to write a proper david tennant two-parter and that's exactly what it is it's a proper new series pace exciting interesting uh two-parter and it does deal with the doctor companion relationship again another very new series thing it kind of wasn't dealt with so much during the fourth doctor adventures because the fourth doctor kind of just left anya behind because she just reminded him of van kelso and it picks up there and i'm really glad it does pick up there it's not a case of brushing it under the carpet and going, oh, that was lifetimes ago, we can be friends now. It's something that's genuinely carried through quite a few episodes of this, actually. It's not really until The Lost, which we'll be discussing later on, that things sort of settle down a tad. So, Connor, do you want to talk to us about buying time? Um, yes, I feel it always sort of has to be taken as a, as a, as a two-parter with the wrong woman. Um, buying time... It does a really good job of reintroducing us to Anya and Mark and the Tenth Doctor. Um, and it sort of takes it in stages a little bit. Um, and I like the way that's broken down. That You get that little bit of time with Anya at the beginning before she meets the Doctor. And they get a little bit of interaction and then eventually Mark turns up to complete the set. Um, so it's a good story. It's, it's good to hear a little bit more of Anya's day-to-day life among the SSS because we don't really get any of that, I suppose, in 
the fourth Doctor run, we get her as Anne and we get her as the sort of brainwashed Anya. But we don't really get any of Anya on a on, on just an ordinary day. So this this spends a little bit of time setting that up and it's good to get that. It's good to get a little bit of a sense of who she is and what she does when she's not being used to take over the earth. Um it's 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 the build up to the reveal is is cool that they're that they're on Myra and um uh, you know what has destroyed the crew of this ship that they're investigating is is uh, the visions um this is one of those moments where you really do have to have done your homework with the series like there's no way you're going to have any idea what's going on uh, if if you haven't heard uh or read the Daleks master plan um like you, although I think they probably do a fair enough job of 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 giving over information that these are invisible creatures and the doctors met them before like there's nothing to it beyond that but I think it's fair to say that it's it's better if you have done um the Daleks master plan in some form or another um yeah it moves along it's 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 sort of a tale of two halves because you get about half of it set on Myra and it's this desperate you know, survival thing, and then it leads more on to, into setting up the wrong woman. Um, the biggest thing about this episode, the thing that everyone thinks about when they think of of buying time, is the cliffhanger. Like it's that absolutely draw dropping moment, um, right at the very end where he regenerates. How many regeneration scenes has David Tennant done? <laughs> I would genuinely love to know, <laughs> um, because. Uh, I remember listening to this the first time and being absolutely gobsmacked. There's, there's no way they're doing this. There's, it's it's not happening. They haven't brought David Tennant back for a series just to regenerate him. And then it comes out and it's it's this woman that we've never met before. Um, it's it's not Matt Smith. It's someone entirely different. Um, so that's I, I admire the sheer audacity of doing that in the first episode. Um, and I'm genuinely amazed and impressed that... Um, the BBC allowed them to do that to one of Doctor Who's biggest assets uh, in the form of David Tennant and the Tenth Doctor. I suppose it helps that it was all wrapped up within the next hour. Um, yes, yes. Imagine, imagine that I tried to carry it in between sets. Like that, that I reckon is when the BBC might have got a bit grumpy. Like, no, you can't create another Eleventh Doctor. We've got one of those and we quite like him. <laughs> um, it's one of those things as well that like new like a lot of online news outlets would have picked up on David Tennant has regenerated again there's a new doctor yeah you can just um, see the mirror being all over it can't you it's 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 one of those things that would just cause a headache for uh the behind the scenes team um because I like I, I know the news I know online news sources like to do that with Big Finish and pretend, you know, put stuff up in the headlines. Doctor Who just regenerated David Tennant and they don't mention that it's an audio drama until like the fifth paragraph or something. Yeah, it happens quite a lot. Like classic Doctor Who actor is coming back on audio that they've been doing for the last 20 years. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, that sort of thing. Yeah, Paul McGann is the Doctor again. Is a favourite. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, Mansour, what were your thoughts on buying time? Uh, yeah, I agree in terms of it being a, a good... Again, and again, it feels like the format of a, a season. It's a, an episode that does a lot of 
good introduction of our, our main cast. Um, the big cliffhanger, uh, uh, I guess it's um, if, like I said, it, it, David Tennant's Doctor has done a lot of regenerations. Some of them real, some of them fake, or with get get out clauses. So if you're looking at this story in isolation, I think it's it's executed really well in a quite exciting and uh, um, and compelling way. It's just when you look back at that wider context of, oh, okay, it's another one of these, that it loses a little bit of the edge And for me. And um, also because of the resolution. I, I, like, I, I know a lot of people would have been upset if they paid for a David Tennant series and there were several episodes without david tennant in it um but but i think that would have been quite interesting to have had this play out at least for an an episode or two um just to to string things along a little bit kind of doing a bit of a rerun of what they did in the comics with the 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 fake uh eighth doctor regeneration um having said that like whatever's uh, whatever my thoughts are about the cliffhanger, I think the rest of the episode is really solid, and it does, um, like I say, a good job of not just reintroducing characters and plot points and where they are and the setup for the series, um, but just giving a few nice moments to establish character and dynamics. And and even if you haven't heard the Anne Kelso stories, just in the way that uh, you know the Doctor reacts to meeting uh, Anya and Mark again, you get you, you get a sense of those those dynamics, even if they're not all spelled out in black and white. Um, so yeah, I think strong opening to the series. Well, we'll, um, we'll move, as the episode itself did, straight on to The Wrong Woman. So we've got that bonkers cliffhanger. We've got that David Tennant is regenerating. What the hell is going on? Like he's on the cover for the second set, so surely he's not gone for good. Um, and I, I genuinely love where this went, and it, it did catch me off guard. I did not see this coming at all. Um, sort of the big reveal, um, but of course, it's it, it's not the Doctor; it's the monk, or rather the nun, uh, a female regeneration of of the monk. Um, I, I, this was just fantastic. This was a great idea, and obviously another sort of thing from Dalek Master Plan. The monk was in Dalek Master Plan, so it all fits in with kind of this 60s Dalek story theme that they've got going on. So um, we'll move straight on to The Wrong Woman. Connor, go for it. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely incredible. It's one of the very best reveals Big Finish I've ever pulled off. Now, I think the reason this works so well is because there's a lot of misdirection going on elsewhere in the story. Um, so throughout the sort of the second part of buying time and through the first half of this story, there's a lot of misdirection um, as to who the villain is because I'm pretty sure that the intention was for us as listeners to think that this was a story involving one or more incarnations of the Master. So as soon as Mark Gatiss was put on the cover um, of this box set, I think everyone's mind suddenly leaped to, oh, what if this is David Tennant versus the Unbound Master? Um, that would be a cool thing to do. As you're uh, as you're going through the story, 
you, you you get these little hints and stuff like there's there's mentions of time breaking down. Um, there's the uh, it's the the time tunnels have a TARDIS component built into them, and the Doctor recognizes this as a component from a TARDIS. Um, and of course, you have Mark Gatiss sitting in the middle of it all, playing this sinister time engineer figure, who like I you're definitely meant to think that's the Master. Um, in a sort of Quicksilver's in one division sort of way, I think. The other element of it is you also have the character who is ultimately revealed to be the monk in disguise or the nun in disguise. I'm pretty sure you're meant to think the pastor with the holy book is also the master, or you're meant to maybe wonder if that's like the Doctor Who magazine uh, pastor version. I think there's a version of the master in the... 8th Doctor comics or a 6th Doctor comic I can't quite remember which um, I haven't read it but I know there's a version of the Master in those comics who presents himself as a sort of religious pastor um, so like you've got these two figures running around who could maybe be the Master and then the TARDIS component turns up and like the Doctor's never met the Mark Gatiss version before so you're obviously meant to think that's him um, that he, you know that's why he doesn't recognise him but then it just comes out of left field and all these little hints have been dropped and you get this reveal that, no, this is a new version of the meddling monk. Um, and it's, the it's as I say, it's one of the very best reveals Big Finish I've ever pulled off. Um, you get it, you, you start wondering and hoping maybe 30 seconds before she reveals it that this is who she is. And then she drops the line, you know, this time I'm no monk. I was like, yes, yes, yes. I'm so glad to hear that. I was so delighted to hear that character again. It's brilliant that they managed to get David Tennant, you know, with it as the Tenth Doctor with another Time Lord villain who's not the master. And you get that because there's always been slightly more of a chummy feel between the Doctor and the Monk, like in Dalek's Master Plan when he turns up, the two of them just have it, like William Hartnell and um, Peter Butterworth just have a bit of banter, you know, about where they are. Oh, how's things these days? Like, that's the way that conversation feels. So the Doctor gets a Time Lord he's ostensibly more friendly with, and he spends a good deal of the climax to all of this trying to convince the Monk to stay with him and help him. And it's brilliant. It plays out really well. And the sort of the, the chemistry and the interaction and engagement between the Tenth Doctor and the Monk. Um, I, I really like it. I, th I think it works really well. Um, you do get that sort of slightly Ravagers-esque thing about time breaking down and all the different, like there's Romans and dinosaurs and stuff that reminds me, because I think they come out similar sort of time. That reminds me very strongly of Ravagers. Um, but like to, that's that side of the story just washes over me. I'm always desperate to get back to the Doctor and the Nun, um, because that that part of it is just so brilliant. I really love this story. I love the whole two parter. Um, it was it was done so well. Yeah, it, it it it's an absolutely brilliant couple of episodes and a really 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 good way to launch a series as well. I think. Um, it just kind of throws straight into this kind of idea of the Tenth Doctor before the Time War is it means the Tenth Doctor playing around in Classic Who, isn't it? Specifically Classic Who by Terry Nation. Um and I think this story does an absolutely brilliant job of just bridging that that Classic Who and New Who 
divide that, to be honest, I think is a lot smaller than many people believe it is, but it's certainly balanced really well here. Uh, Mansell, what about you? Yeah, I agree that the, the big thing that stood out to me in this one was the the, the new version of the monk. Um, uh, and I totally agree about it, quite rightly recapturing that 60s Dalek master plan time meddler dynamic that uh, the monk had with the first Doctor and doing that really well. Um, and uh, I think the performance for the, uh, the monk or the nun is is absolutely excellent as well. Um, I think the interconnectivity with all those other things that we talked about, like Master Plan and Fourth Doctor Adventures, I think generally those work really smoothly with this series. The one bit of big finish interconnectivity that I think gets in the way for me a little bit here is um, kind of totally glossing over the events of uh, To the Death and um, the end of the Lucy Miller audio stories and um yeah because that that felt like it should have totally permanently shifted that chummy dynamic between uh the monk and the doctor uh i I don't i don't know if i've caught up with every appearance of the monk in various other things because i think rufus hound's monk has turned up in quite a few places um, so maybe I need to catch up with those, but I don't feel like we've had a proper uh, kind of acknowledgement of that or something that resets their dynamic to to you know what it was in the past. Having said that, like I said, that's not a problem with Dalek Universe. That's just like a kind of character continuity thing that that stands out a little bit for me when when you're looking at like you know big finish across decades of stuff um but yeah as as a story in its own right i thought i thought this was excellent and i would very much like to see this regeneration of the monk again sometime the lucy miller thing it's interesting because not that it's not that it's yes i agree that it's it's weird that it's not mentioned i think there has been a confrontation between the Eighth Doctor and the Monk since then. It's in Doom Coalition, the Rufus Hound Monk is in it. And the, that there is a... I, I don't know if Lucy... I can't I don't think Lucy's mentioned explicitly, but there is a... The, the Doctor's very antagonistic towards him throughout that. And, uh, you know, other characters going, oh, why are you being like that? And like, he knows what he did. He, that's the Doctor's response is he yeah, knows. That sounds, sounds familiar. There was also the Locum Doctors, which I think happens it's sort of out of sequence like the locum doctors after yes to the death for the yeah. monk but before for the doctor so that that obviously there's no resolution or moving on because it's out of sequence but that was an interesting picking up of that thread as well and i think that was more the monk out for revenge so at least that was acknowledging that the dynamic had shifted a bit because the monk had previously never really gone after the doctor in the way that the master would do it was more that the monk was up to something and the doctor they're, they're stumbled into cross, it. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's also the thing in this story as well, which I really like. I think it's a great character development for the monk. Um, and it does sort of help to reconcile their different incarnations turning up in all these different places, you know, possibly out of sequence is that their timeline sort of is falling 
apart that they have rewritten time so many times that their own history no longer makes sense. Um, and like I think the order of their incarnation shifts. In this story, the nun has never heard of the Time War, has no idea what it's about. But when she comes back, she's in one of the Missy stories. She knows, she she does know about the Time War. Um, she comes after Rufus Hound's monk. She uh, She's his next incarnation. And he has sort of escaped from the Time War already. So like that can go some way as to helping with it as well in that... Um, Maybe in this monk's timeline, the Lucy Miller stuff never happened. Um, and then maybe in other parts of their timeline, it has happened. It's it's like the monk is now a, lot, a non-linear sort of entity, um, which I, th- I think it's a great character development for them. I think it makes a lot of sense. I, mean, I suppose it's compounded by the fact that the place, uh, as far as I can remember, that we last left both of the sort of current active monks at Big Finish was they were travelling together. I would like um, I would like a sitcom spin-off with the two monks. Yes, it would be brilliant. Um I'm at least hoping they show up again in the uh the, the forthcoming Missy set, which seems to be the monks' second home at the moment. Um it, it, he's been in every Missy set. I mean I only listened to Yeah, Missy no, last no, week. he's been Yes, he was in every Missy set, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh the Rufus Hound Monk. Um so yeah, th- there's definitely there's definitely room for more monkery. And I, I love the fact that they are left the two well, the monk and the nun, I suppose, are left travelling together at the end of the last Missy set and like that that does feel like a a sitcom y spin off series and it's we're sort of light-hearted but serious series or something big finish do very well you know i'm thinking of missy or i'm thinking of uh the lone centurion sets and that kind of thing it'd be great to get something like that i would like to see that but uh they should do the the jackie tyler adventures as a sitcom format before before getting to that what if jackie tyler ended up traveling with the two monks <laughs> um don't no. say it, because then Big no, Finish will use that's... it use it for free. Like we could we could pitch that. So the third story in the first set is um the House of Kingdom, where well, first of all, um the wrong woman ends on a cliffhanger, and I'm loving the fact that I think every single story in Dalek Universe does actually, which it's another nice little nod to sixties Doctor Who, that sort of first season where absolutely everything ended on some kind of cliffhanger. Usually the cliffhanger was, oh, we've landed somewhere strange. It's like, yep, that's kind of the nature of the show, Doctor. But um everything does end on a cliffhanger. So we get one here. Um and it's picked up pretty quickly, obviously, in uh the House of Kingdom where an awful lot happens. We finally get a little bit more about Anya. We learn a bit about a character, what her link to and um to Sarah Kingdom is, to Brett Vian is, that kind of thing. Um, and we get uh, Kevin McNally playing her grandfather, who's a brilliant character. Um, really, really sort of good to get more of the Kingdom family, and he is the character that kind of links it all together. Um, it, it It's it's certainly a little bit more low-key after the sort of big bombastic two-parter at the beginning, but it's it's a great little episode with added mechanoids as well. Uh, so, Connor, go ahead. Well, this is great because it's the first time that we dig into Anya's personal history. So, like I said, you've had her sort of slice of life 
uh, investigating with the SSS at the start of um, buying time. But this is where you dig into the family behind her, and this is what you know. This is what we'd all been waiting for after um, the Anne Kelso stuff ended, because obviously we got the kingdom connection, but we didn't know how that worked. And we do see how she fits into the kingdom family here. Then, and we get to meet another kingdom in the form of Merrick, who is brilliant. Um, really, really lovely character. Very clearly loves uh, Anya dearly, um, even if that's not reciprocated. Um, and I, I think Kevin McNally is a brilliant actor and I always love hearing him turn up in Big Finish because he is always just such a joy to listen to. Um, this is great. You get that really nice, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a lovely character piece for Anya. Um, you get to see how her family has affected her and how that has driven her. Um, like she looks up to Brett and Sarah, um, very much as her role models, um, but her whole family seems to be connected into the SSS, and um, it's it, it, it's good to get that sort of motivation for why Anya's in it and why she's still in it after the events of the Syndicate Master Plan, um, because it runs much deeper than just um, you, you know it runs very deeply in her familial in her fami- in her sort of familial history, um, so that's brilliant. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's a fantastic episode. It's very, very, uh, very rare for one of the Dalek Universe stories to put a foot wrong. This one doesn't at all. Um, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it, it's it's one of those episodes that definitely prioritizes character work over sort of the adventure that's going on. You know, we we have got some pretty solid adventure going on stuff. You know, it's got a very decent story that. You know, big. It, it it's not the biggest story ever, but what isn't there in story is there with character, and I think it's something we really needed uh, for Anya at this stage. Uh, Mansour, what are your thoughts on it? Um, I like the. It's a good story in its own right, but it's. I, I like the way it builds out the 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 kingdom family and um and felt like not every single thing needs to be turned into a spin off, but it, that that building up of the family history and those dynamics, it felt like there was something there that was rich enough to, to do like a, a you know, a, another doctorless Dalek spinoff or just a, just a, a spinoff focused on the family. Um, yeah. I feel like there's, there's, there's enough there to, you know, even if you didn't have Sarah or Brett involved, there's enough there now with the kingdoms to, uh, to revisit and dip back into, um, so so that's always nice that you know it, even if it's not necessarily all followed up on, just to have a bit more depth to the worlds that they're building up, um, and uh, uh, and yeah, I don't have much more to say on it, but in, in, but in terms of uh, anything else that stood out, but um, yeah, just like a lot of dark universe performances are, are are really strong it's it's sort of the the pacing for this whole series is really good i think it like rattles along and the cliffhangers help with that um it, it never feels like it well we'll get onto it with like um the the lost is like a good kind of more introspective story but it, it walks that right balance between um like keeping the pace up but also having each episode be uh, uh, it's its own distinct thing with a sort of specific location or plot or 
or theme. So yeah, I think it, it does it it does serialize storytelling really well uh, it, it, in a way that you know Doctor Who's tried a lot of different things on screen and in Big Finish, uh, and this is like quite a nice uh, middle ground for me. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's the whole series, as you say, is paced incredibly well, and I think just at the end of this first set, this is the perfect point to just kind of have that little breather to just sort of establish a few things and a lot of stuff that's established here is kind of picked up in the lost um in the next set which you know there is a little cameo from merrick and the stuff about the doctor knowing brett and sarah kind of comes out and there's um there's quite a lot here that is paid off later and that's really well done um Another thing just worth mentioning, just because I absolutely love it, is um, the Doctor's absolute disgust at having to travel uh, by conventional spaceship. You, you know, there's no TARDIS at all in this series. The, one of the whole big points of it is the Doctor has lost the TARDIS. Um, and I just, yeah, I love his, the 10th Doctor in particular. I just love his reaction to having to wait in a spaceport and get a normal spaceship and basically be ordinary. Um, it's it's an awful lot of fun. Um, we'll move on to set number two then. Um, so the, the cliffhanger at the end of this one is basically, if I remember correctly, the ship's running out of oxygen. Um, and it leads us into Cycle of Destruction. Uh, which is the first story of the second set. So we get a little bit more about Mark here. Now, we've not really discussed Mark all that much, although obviously he's been as central to the whole thing as Anya here. He's another companion uh, in this whole run. And it, it, it's I'm glad that we do get a Mark episode as well. It's it, it, I guess it's Mark's equivalent to Powers of Kingdom, really, this, this episode is. Um, so, Connor, talk to us about it. Well, in the way the uh, House of Kingdom digs into Anya's family history, this one digs into Mark's. Um, and it sort of transpires that Mark has two families. Um, he has There was a human family who sort of raised him and um, you know, developed, helped him develop his own self, I, I suppose, and his own sense of individuality. Um, and we get some flashbacks to them, to his mum in particular, Um and the last time he saw her, which it's 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 played in a really heartbreaking way. Actually, it's really well done. Um, but we then also discover his android family and sort of the place he was built and developed, um, as well. Then, yeah, it's it's a wee bit of a strange story because you've got these androids sort of learning. They obviously want to live independently in the way that Mark has done so. Um, but haven't been allowed to, and they have their sort of constraints built in. And it goes into a lot of how it, it plays about with the idea of how an artificial intelligence learns and um, sort of uh, develops by, mirror, by mirroring biological beings. Um, and it goes into what happens when it's not humans they're mirroring, but rather um, the, the animal life outside the facility here. Um, it's again, it's a really great character piece for Mark and focuses in very strongly on him um, to, to its to its credit because 
on, on, on paper, there's not an awful lot to Mark, and it's very welcome to get this development for him. Um, I, I, I really like that. It's it's good to hear him playing a, off against others of his own kind um, in the form of uh, Mariah Six, um, another android, um, Mark's, Mark's sister, I suppose. Um, yeah, it's great just to get these two character-focused stories back-to-back just to develop up the companions here a bit. Um, I think it works very, very well, um, and it's at least as strong as the House of Kingdom. Um I'd, I'd say, I'd maybe say House of Kingdom is probably the stronger out of the two. I think certainly we feel, because we've got the history with Anne Kelso and Anya, I think, you know, we as listeners might be feel a little more invested in her. Um, but this works wonders for Mark and... Um, I, I, I think it I think it works very, very well. I think it's important that we get a bit about Mark as a character, you know, particularly with what happens going on through the series. But also, you know, he, he is being treated, uh, particularly at this stage, as another companion. It, it's not like he's another character that's tagging along with the Doctor and the companion. He's not a, I don't guess, a Mickey or whatever. He is one of this sort of makeshift not quite TARDIS team of three um, so yeah I'm really glad that we do get this episode uh, Mansour talk to us about Cycle of Destruction I I agree that these this and also like the next episode that they they do a lot to to flesh out Mark and make us care more about him not that you don't care but I think it, it's yeah like I say the comparison to uh, to Anya, there's a lot more um, to latch on to for her. So I feel like without without what uh, what we have in this box set for Mark, um, he would have, to me, felt like a bit more of a secondary companion. Um, uh, you know, on paper, he's he's around as, uh, pretty much uh, as much as Anya in the first box set, but it really feels like she's our focus. Um, and but yeah, I think this these uh, when we get to this point in the run, this really cements Mark as no, this is you know this is one of our main characters that we're following and caring about. Uh, uh, yeah, and it again the serialization works quite well of having uh, a distinct whole story, but then that leads very directly into into the next one as well. Uh, so yeah, I enjoyed the starts start to this second box set very much. Um, so we've kind of got all three members of of this TARDIS team fully established with a background and everything now. So naturally, we're going to kill one of them uh, in the Trojan Dalek, which is the next episode. Now, um, I kind of saw this coming. I have to admit, I think by this stage we'd had. Um, details for the third set so we we kind of saw that mark wasn't going to be in it um which kind of led us to think oh dear something not great's going to happen to him uh trojan dalek so halfway through and we get a dalek story in dalek universe uh, a lot of people whinged about that apparently a lot of people complained that there weren't enough daleks in it from the beginning but it's called Dalek Universe, not Dalek in every episode universe. Um, and I, I quite like the fact that they've 
not been entirely held back. They sort of popped up a little bit in the first set, but I'm, I'm kind of glad they got properly held back to this point. Um, and Trojan Dalek is perhaps not the most original story ever to come out of Big Finish, but it's it's a certain type of story done very well, I think, which is basically mad scientist thinks that he can do Daleks. Um, we've had it in Blood of the Daleks. We've had it in various other things as well. We kind of have a, I guess, a version of it in the Juggernauts. Um, but this, this is this is a really good way of doing this story, and obviously the consequences are massive. It's a pretty gruesome story as well, um, in terms of sort of where these Daleks come from, and you know what happens to other characters and that kind of thing. So it's. It's a very, very heavy listen, this one. it's Everything so far has been not necessarily light-hearted, but this certainly takes us into darker territory now. So, Connor, talk to us about the Trojan Dalek. So this is an interesting one because I have a slight problem with it, and it's not through any fault of the episode itself. I think it's a great episode. It is, as you say, it's very similar territory to Blood of the Daleks. Um and it does feel like I, I remember listening to this at the time and thinking, oh, this is this is this is Blood of the Daleks. Um it's very similar to that, but that's a good story. It's a good type of story, and this is it done well. So I've no problem I don't have any problem with that. I think the rev- I think the shock twist, which to me was a shock twist, like I do think I, I, I do remember my jaw actually dropping open when I heard Mark get exterminated. Um, and that's down to Tennant's performance um, because he plays it. He's absolutely horrified. You get straight away, you feel the 10th Doctor's pain at losing another companion. Um, like that, that, that is, it's, it's actually a really visceral feeling um, for me anyway when I'm listening to the Trojan Dalek um, because you feel the Doctor's world just collapse in on him again. I think my problem with this is, is, as I say, it's not down to any of those elements because it's a great story. I think it works extremely well. I think it's a problem with the series in that it's, I'm, I think, one even one more episode between this and Cycle of Destruction would have let it breathe a little bit more. It feels very, very... Uh, the, the pacing of this series feels relentless because there's only nine episodes um, in which to squeeze all of this blockbustery goodness as i said earlier but it's i think coming so swiftly after mark getting the development in cycle of destruction that he sort of needed um to killing him off in this story it feels like it moves very quickly and it feels like maybe one more episode in there uh, just to let things breathe a little more would have helped immeasurably um so that's 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 my only criticism of this story is that I think it comes too soon after Cycle of Destruction to kill Mark off. I think one more episode just to let things breathe a little would have helped. But um, I know they only had three. I know they only had a limited number of episodes, you know, to work with. So I I, I can't complain too much about that. It's a great story, as I said. I think Tennant's performance at the end and that of Joe Sims and uh, Jane Slavin helps to sell everything. Um, you know, it 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 really is the Doctor's hurt and pain and and um horror at losing 
another companion. It's it's amazing how well those three actors settled into each other's company. I suppose you know it feels at this stage like Mark and Anya and the Doctor are a really settled, you know, team. Like I, I uh, like you get that straight away after the first set, I think. Um, and then it builds throughout Cycle of Destruction and through this, and you get that ripped all apart at the end of the Trojan Dalek. Then, um, I think they all did a fantastic job of establishing themselves as a trio. Um, throughout this, they are each like uh, you know, it's an understatement to call David Tennant a wonderful actor, but Jane Slavin and Joe Sims are incredibly good as well. Um, and I I love how established and how well integrated this trio feels as i was going to say a tardis crew they're, they're technically not a tardis crew but as our three leads they feel really well um integrated together so i think it's that it's that that makes mark's death work so well um and and their performances and selling that at the very end of this um it's a great episode and it it does help to give the series a new direction you know, because this this ends the whole um hunt of them looking for Arborek to try and get the Doctor back to the future. Um, this does not, you know, that that's a dead end here. Arborek's dead. This helps then straight away to twist the series in a new direction, um, and uh comes at the perfect time to to uh, provide that new motivation going forwards. I completely agree with you about wishing we had more time with this team. Um, the three of them kind of they did work together so well and it's mad to think that this is actually only their fifth episode together um, and already it's it's sort of been taken apart I do uh, I wish there were four sets here and I wish we had time for some everyday adventures I guess um, but it, it's just unfortunately it's not happened we've got the big series opener where the doctor turns up and you know, all the stuff uh, with the nun happens and then we're straight into an Anya's family episode then we're straight into a Mark's family episode and then Mark dies it, it all happens really really quickly and I absolutely love that pacing I love the fact that absolutely every single episode of this series is essential like you couldn't take away anything from all all nine episodes you could not remove one of them but I kind of wish we did maybe have three episodes where they just kind of go and do normal Doctor Who things. Um, but it, it, there, there are so many things we could say this about. We said this about Anne Kelso, you know, wouldn't it have been great if we'd have got a third set in the middle with Anne Kelso where a few, you know, we just get to have some normal Doctor Who adventures with her because we only really got one or two outside of the series arc. Um but yeah, Mansour, you talked to us about the Trojan Dalek. Uh, I, I can see that about a bit, a bit of breathing room and just having some regular adventures. On just as a counterpoint to that, I'd rather, I'd rather a story be slightly too short and rattle through, than be too long and outstate as welcome. So if you're going to go, you know, one side of that line, I think it's better to err on the side of being concise and. Um, telling the the story in a really tight way, um, I think the, uh, the 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 dynamics between the team that we've mentioned do work really well. And I, I think I'm right 
in thinking that at least at some point early in development, Dalek Universe was an idea for a completely different Doctor. Um, so I don't know how early, how much truth there was to that or how early in the process things changed, but uh, I think it's a, a credit to the story that it feels like this was very mindfully written for this this team and that team works really well. Um, the the death itself uh, works in a number of ways. It's not just like a shock thrown in for the sake of it. It fits within this story, within Dark Universe, like you said, moving things on. But then I think also connects to all the other stuff. Like there's mentions of Rose and Dollar and where where the 10th Doctor is, uh, you know, uh, emotionally at this point in his life. And then it obviously connects back to and um, echoes stuff with losing Sarah Kingdom and that comes up again explicitly in the next next story. Um, so it doesn't feel shoehorned in, it doesn't feel gratuitous, and I feel like quite the opposite. It works on a number of levels in this story and and, relation, and in relation to other stuff beyond it. Um, so 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 yeah, I, uh, I I quite enjoyed quite enjoyed this one. It, it's definitely the big pivotal episode in the middle, you know, the one that does turn the whole series on its head, and it's it's a good couple of episodes yet before we kind of realise what the full impact of the events here are. Um, at this point of listening, it's just oh, Mark's being killed, and that's adding a bit of a bit more guilt, I guess, to the 10th Doctor, who seems to be carrying more than enough of it anyway, because this is towards the end of his life. So in various ways, he's lost and destroyed the lives of Rose, Martha and Donna and their families. Um, but it, it just kind of, it, it's an, it's another sort of real emotional gut punch. Um, and it, it, it works incredibly well. Um, I think... I think it is sort of the perfect thing just to kind of turn this series on its head, change the dynamic quite a bit. And the next episode kind of lets us deal with that and deal with other things. And it, it's it, it's a very, very sort of solid episode, The Lost is. It, it's a great slow-paced, not-too-heavy emotional piece that lets the Doctor and Anya kind of really have it out in some ways you know there's a really interesting villain there's a really interesting set of ideas behind this and it could be argued that this story features one of the best covers that big finish have ever done uh so connor talk to us about the lost it's uh phenomenal it's 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 absolutely one of the highlights of the whole run um as you say before you even go into the story itself it's surely one of the very best covers they've ever done um very very striking the the story itself is is superb i i actually forgot going into it that you that you know there was actors in it other than david tennant and uh jane slavin because they carry them you know the bulk of the story um i forgot joe sims was in it and i forgot that um uh, I, I forgot Kevin McNally came back as well. Um, so that's it's it's great when they turn up um, uh, in the form of um, Lost, um, who's uh, it really jumped out when I was listening this time that this is so similar to uh, Wild Blue Yonder. It's actually ridiculous. Um, it has a very similar sort of villain lost is very similar to the no things or the not things from wild blue yonder um 
and it really jumps out when Tennant is playing lost um, to Anya at one stage because um, his performance is very similar to that of the new thing he plays in uh, Wild Blue Yonder. So um, it's it's fantastic, and it sort of digs into again it digs into the conflict that is sort of um bubbling away just under the surface between the doctor and anya as far as um their history goes and that as as far as Anne kelso goes um and i do like they do they they take chunks out of her at, at different you know they, they take chunks out of each other at different stages through this they really um both go for each other um uh, you know uh, whenever lost is sort of setting them up to play against each other so um, it 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 does feel quite brutal at at you know digging into their relationship and the the struggles within it. Um, I I like the little it it I like the little bit more lost in the form of Anne Kelso. and again, um, Jane Slavin does change her performance between Anya and Anne in this story. Um, the version of Anne that is is in here. Um, in that, that loss takes the form of. Um, and you get that run through the list of all the companions that the Doctor has lost. And it feels very, very strange, but very welcome to hear people like Oliver Harper and uh, Lucy Miller getting name-checked alongside the likes of uh, Adric and Rose and Donna. Um, so that's that's a huge plus um, to this, just to hear the 10th Doctor getting integrated into the big finish-back catalogue uh, as well. So yeah, it's a great story, um, and it finally, you know, we get that reveal, or we get that reveal to Anya that the Doctor knew and was involved with the deaths of Brett and Sarah back in the Daleks' master plan. So um, yeah, uh, as I said at the start, there absolutely one of the best highlights of the whole Dalek universe run. Um, that does hark back not just to the Syndicate master master plan, but right back into um, the Daleks master plan as well. So that's it, it again. It's one of those episodes that it really pays to do the homework and and listen to Daleks master plan and uh, the Syndicate master plan, and to do this as a run uh, of three series. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely a reward for a lot of listening. This episode is, and that uh, it, it we were talking earlier about this all tying into quite a lot of other Doctor Who, some fairly obscure Doctor Who, another big finish and that kind of thing. And well this this is the episode that really does kind of reward you for sticking with all of that and piecing it all together. Um, um when I re listened to this it was just it was absolutely amazing um just just at doing that. Uh Mansell, what about you? What are your thoughts on the loss? Yeah, very nice uh, contrast to, uh, well, like what we've just come out of. Like if you compare what happened on TV when, uh, you know, uh, actually they did this better with Sarah. I was going to use the example of Adric, of how the TV series would do a companion death and then it would move on from it just way too fast and there'd be the odd reference or two, but no real tackling of the emotional baggage that, comes with that but then i was thinking back actually with sarah they did that a little bit with um stephen and the doctor uh uh acknowledging it a little bit more and uh and uh, you know taking a moment to move on from it um what 
Right, so that's a really nice contrast to like we've had these big sort of explosive events and then we have this more introspective, spooky, psychological story. Um, yeah, there's a lot of similarities to Wild Blue Yonder, but in a good way. I mean, even just like the setup, like uh, it's not the edge of the universe, but I think the, the, the Lost is set outside the universe or beyond. There's like some sort of different realm or, or place that they go to. So uh, similarities, but um, I think enough that makes it distinct and uh, and still have its its, its own own identity. Um, yeah, the the performances are a big part of that. Like just how uh, David Tennant and Jane Slovin shift slightly, and it's the same thing that Catherine Tate and David Tennant did on on screen. That without playing over-the-top villains they are themselves but just like slightly not quite right um and yeah that's just all executed really well in the performances and the direction and 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 editing the way that you you sort of pick up quite quickly that it's not them um but there's like enough of the real character in there to make it feel unsettling and to just give you that little bit of doubt. Uh, so I think all of that's done really well. And then as well as kind of being a nice contrast to the tone of the previous stories, again, like structurally it works quite well within Dalek universe. It's picking up on things that have been seeded a few episodes back about uh, the doctor, not telling Anya about, about Sarah and Brett and, um, uh, and obviously just coming off the back of, of losing Mark uh, as well. Um, and, uh, uh, and yeah, kind of sets up, you have that kind of emotional confrontation between the two of them that, that sort of moves their relationship on a little bit uh, and also forces the Doctor to really, really engage with, uh, you know, how he feels about, Anya and, uh, and and Anne and, and all of that stuff as well. So uh, so yeah, really solid, uh, evocative story in its own right. Uh, and again, does a really good job of fitting within the overall narrative of of this this arc or this season. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's it's a really really strong end to the second set as well. It, you know, we're two thirds of the way through what is essentially one big story really at this point and it's it's kind of really sunk the doctor and Anya down low and made them question you know the relationship it's made the doctor question things about himself Anya question things about herself it's it's such a great place to leave the two characters and obviously we've got the hello sweetie cliffhanger at the end which is obviously going to lead us to a river story um, and we're going to pick that up in a in another episode that we'll record in the not-too-distant future. Uh, that is all we've got time for, though. So it's been great discussing sort of these first couple of sets. We'll come back, discuss the third set, and do kind of a nice little... We'll, we'll tie off the whole series with a bow. Uh, but in the meantime, I will say thank you and goodbye to Connor. Thank you very much. And thank you and goodbye to Mansour. Thank you. And we will be back very soon for more podcasting. Goodbye now.